this is Sylvester McCoy. Uh, you're listening to Who Made Who and uh, Me Made Me. And uh, my mother and father did the same. You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. Episode of Who Made Who, Cinema Geekly's Doctor Who podcast. It's Anthony Lewis and Ben Knight going ahoy, ahoy. on our own this week with uh, with no Aaron De La Osa. He is lost somewhere in space and time. Uh, but we don't have time to wait for him, Ben, because we've got two episodes to catch up on. We do not want to fall behind. Uh, there was... I, I'm curious, you didn't... Uh, so a couple weeks ago, when episode two came out, you kind of did, in the Facebook chat, you sort of did like a miniature review, but you didn't say, I didn't hear you say anything about uh, the episode from yesterday as we record this. So. I, only because I didn't watch it live, I watched it like maybe an hour later, and... Um, I'm going to get like a well, completely fresh Mainly, opinion. I didn't watch it live because, you know, I just got back from watching Guardians of the Galaxy, but... Mm. Um, Mm, sort of mention that, but uh, yeah, it mm, yeah, I, I I have thing I have thoughts about it. Okay, I mean we'll definitely talk about it. So that's why we're here. Uh, yeah. Let's start with a series ten, episode two, the one we uh, the one we missed last week. Uh, it's called Smile. It's the Emoji Robot episode, everybody, and there was a lot of those Emoji Robots. Uh, the Doctor and Bill arrive on Earth's first colonized planet, Glees 581D. And they are greeted by two different types of robots. Uh, there are these swarm, nearly microscopic type robots called Vardis. And they, uh, I guess, kind of work with these slow but sentient emoji bots. And I'm not making up the name emoji bots. It literally says that here in this paragraph. Uh, so maybe that is their uh, in-canon name, uh, which I don't know if this blows your mind or not, Ben, that in Doctor Who canon there is a character with emoji in its name. But It's a such, sign of the times. Yeah, such are the times we live in. Uh, an emoji bot gives the Doctor and Bill discs that communicate their true emotions. Uh, but the last the, time someone handed me something small with a smiley face printed on it, I, I had a good time as well. So, <laughs> Well, these go right onto their backs, so only others can truly see their own emotions. And the, doctor, the, the doctor's emoticon basically spends most of its time in, uh, with an inquisitive face, basically. Uh, the doctor theorizes that the planet is awaiting colonists, but soon realizes 
that skeletons of a setup crew have been crushed to feed uh, the plants uh, on this uh, new and growing world. Determined to blow up the city to potentially save other colonists, he finds that the main ship, uh, he finds the main ship within the uh, the colony, I guess, and it's a uh, engine room. But Bill runs into a child who is awoken from a cryopod. And that is when we are alerted to the fact that the colonists are already here. They're just cryogenically frozen, waiting for their wake-up call. Um, I, I guess the uh, the early the early risers are shepherds who are there to, uh, I guess, prepare things. Mm-hmm. Uh, after one shepherd died, the emoji bots could not recognize grief and killed all the other mourning human beings. Uh, and basically what amounts to an onslaught against sadness. And boy, do they take care of that sadness. Oh, yeah. Uh, the awakened colonists decide to fight back, but the doctor wipes the memory of the emoji bots and reboots everything. Only humans must now learn to live with the Vardis and the planet's indigenous species. Uh, then, after the TARDIS returns them to London, the doctor and Bill discover themselves on a frozen Tim's River with an elephant walking towards them on the ice. So a uh, a surprise ending. Well, it's not really that big of a surprise if you've ever watched Doctor Who. The I was about to say, always if you've go. never watched that show before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if this is your first time watching Doctor Who, oh my God, what happened? Uh, but if you've, if you've watched it enough times, you're like, TARDIS didn't land him where he wanted him to land him at. Uh, <laughs> that happens frequently. So uh, your opinions on Smile. Uh it's a show of two hearts. So the the setup is good. I actually said um, when we were watching it that the what I liked about it is it had a feel of the Russell Davis about it to start yes. with. It had um, it was very much the sort of Russell Davis aesthetic. The um, the setup was uh, it all had that sort of feel about it. It had a little bit of light airiness to it. It had um, dialogue that wasn't unnecessarily irritating and cryptic it, it, it was that had a really nice feel to it actually the start of the show um as it went on the the plot development was fine um and then all of a sudden as if the writer had gone oh hang on oh we've only got three minutes left shit uh they they did something not quite in the golden arrow territory but pretty yeah. close where they just went oh and then this is how we fixed it yep <laughs> it, it had i mean it really was they just threw the ending away like incredible pace and i don't know whether that's um whether that was just bad writing by uh frank cottrell boyce or 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 whether the script was supposed to be a two-parter and i I don't really know what happened it just suddenly got buried i was like oh i can reboot them i'll reboot them there i reboot them everything's solved yeah yeah which made and it really made no sense either if you followed if you follow the plot through bit by bit that really didn't explain why on earth it also didn't explain at all what would happen in the future um the the clue to me that perhaps it was supposed to be slightly differently balanced than that was the fact that they'd cast uh ralph little as steadfast who is one of the um the colonists who wakes up he's the sort of leader of the colonists who wake up uh he's the angry one with a gun uh ralph little uh certainly british uh, listeners will know from uh, the royal family and from two pints of lager and countless other things um he's uh, he's a he's a good comedy actor he does some drama not huge amounts and 
it was sort of the briefest sort of flash cameo of him really it surprised me that they'd bother casting him in order to then have him be grumpy shout at the doctor a couple of times and then look bewildered for 10 minutes before roll credits yeah yeah um that said it it had it had some entertaining moments my favorite bit uh, again perhaps more for the british viewer than the international viewer was the doctor mentions that um there are, scotland has uh, sorry space has many scotlands and all of them are striving for independence uh, <laughs> which uh not the first time they've made the gag but uh i i enjoyed it Pretty it was certainly still, made with yeah, yeah absolutely the, for the first one i think was in uh the beast below i think mm. um so so that was good fun um it, it was a, it was a good solid episode as i say it just had this sort of weird sudden ending um i I liked it. One thing I couldn't find myself... I, I think I've now solved it. Do you remember a cartoon in the 80s called The Telebots? No, no, no. Oh, you that, see, sounds uh, like you, a, that sounds like a purely British thing. I, I don't think it was. I'm pretty sure it had been... Well, it had either been American or Japanese, and I'm guessing American. Um, but anyway, uh, whenever I saw the little emoji bots, I couldn't help but think of... Uh, of the telebots. Oh, I'm looking at a little uh, picture of them right now, and I totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. They, they look were, like they look like old Macintosh computers on top of bodies <laughs> with uh, like just faces on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's what it reminded me of. Anyway, as I say, it had a nice airy feeling about it. I I did enjoy how Russell Davis it felt actually, yeah. um, and how uncomplicated it felt. Which you know, mm-hmm. it was a Moffat episode. Um, it hadn't been written by any of the yeah. There are no complicated tricks. guest writers. It would do yeah. you know Frank Cottrell Boyce is perhaps one of the more straightforward uh, yeah. guest writers for it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. it. There were no real tricks to this. It was not a. You're right. It was for for a show that takes place under uh, under control of of Moffat. There was not mm-hmm. a lot of. Moffaty things, I guess. Well, he he wrote Control Boyce wrote uh, in the Forest of the Night. If you remember that from second episode of the series. Oh yeah, yeah, the little um, girl with the waving hands. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, I can't remember. Actually, it wasn't this. This was series ten. What's uh, what episode number was that? Uh, for in the ten, Forest ten, of the Night. Ten, there we go. Tenth episode of series eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, again, uncomplicated, pretty much. But again, mm-hmm. actually, now I think of it, in the Forest of the Night had a, it was another episode with a really abrupt ending. It also was, yes. Yeah. Maybe he's not uh, good at endings. No. <laughs> he, uh, maybe he's secretly a, a comic book writer at heart, where everything is the second act. He can't ever really end things. Well, he writes uh, theatre, um, and you've got a lot longer than 45 minutes to... No, that is true. ...sort your exposition out, I guess. Um, yeah, so when you mentioned this felt like a Russell Davis episode, I when watching this, I immediately tried to... Like, after it was over, it's like, could I picture... David Tennant being in this episode and absolutely I could yeah it had all the aesthetics it felt like a story that he would do during his run it even felt like Eccleston I felt yeah even though, yeah yeah mm. a little bit yeah um the thing that actually <laughs> being the nerd I am um I guess the thing that I enjoyed the most was that they I mean look to me they're taking a gamble by saying Earth's first colonized planet is Gliese 581D. Um, because that is... I, now, scientifically speaking, as of today, as best we can tell, it is, based on our scientific studies of, of Gliese 581D, 
Uh, it is the most like highly likely planet, like for planet habitability. Um, but that, I mean, you know, that's not saying a whole lot. Uh, it's as best we can tell. It appears like it has like surface water and a compatible uh, climate situations and things like that. But um, so uh, normally, I'd say if this was Star Trek, I'd say they're taking they're they're taking a bit of a they're they're taking a bit of a walk out onto the branch a little bit with this one. But it's Doctor Who, so it doesn't really matter as much. Yeah. I guess like with Star Trek it's like, oh, remember when they said they were fighting the Romulans with nuclear like nuclear bombs in space? Boy, that didn't turn out to 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 really stand the test of time. With Doctor <laughs> Who I guess it doesn't matter as much. But I did enjoy uh the nod and that it has like current scientific relevance to it, so um I, I, Appropriately I, enough, it was uh, the, the. If you're wondering where those buildings were, it was the City of Arts and Sciences in Valencia, in Spain. So there you go. There's another science tie-in, and the the Vardy. Um, I didn't know this. I was told this. Are named after Andrew Vardy, um, who's a swarm robo- robotics professor at hmm. uh, University of Newfoundland. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, another thing to point in this show's favor, other than the fact that I uh, liked it, I'm continuing. So for me, Bill as a character was not. Uh, a one-hit wonder. I continue to like her in this episode. Yeah, she uh, grew on me in this episode, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I find that she's continuing to do that for mm-hmm. me. Um, she, uh, so she, she was, she was good. But what I, what I really need to point out is the one thing that we were concerned about, which was yes. the constant presence of Matt Lucas, which yeah. stopped in this episode. He's like, "I'm going to go get some tea or something." And then that was the last we saw of him for this episode and the next episode until the end of it. And, and actually, the bit where he's in the next episode, which I'm sure we'll come to in due course, is I I actually thought he was... It was the one scene I've seen him in where I just didn't want to punch him. Yeah. Um, he he might actually be adding something to the, to the, uh, the general feel of the next mm. episode, I think. I may clutch my pearls here, Ben. I can't mm. believe we're saying this, but... Uh, mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, the uh, you're right. The en- the ending, the s- the the sudden stop of the ending, s- certainly hurts it a little bit. That it's like, well, we got to wrap it up. Let's think of a way to wrap it up, and we did, and then we did. See mm-hmm. you next week. Uh, I I think I would have liked something a little bit different, and something like a little less on the nose. Like, oh, of course, the robots, and you can reset them, and I'll just reset them. Uh, I was I was hoping we'd get something a little bit more clever, but uh, we did not. And as you pointed mm-hmm. out, he did the same writer did in the Force of the Night, which was the ending was also not like super clever, and it was just done in a quick fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I, I mean, I don't have a ton to say about the episode. It was a uh, it was a breezy episode. It was fun. And there was nothing about it that made me want to smash my television. So I guess at the end of the day, that's good, right? Yeah, it, it feels odd, doesn't it, that we're we're so happy with an episode that isn't infuriating, but maybe that's a sign of where we're at with Moffat, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, hey look, maybe we're, we're just... We're in the acceptance stage now, and we're ready, to, <laughs> we're ready to move on, and we're watching these, and we're like, oh, well, like... Some of his stuff is is really just not that bad. That was that was fine. Uh, like nothing sticks out to me as like, 
uh, like I enjoyed, I enjoyed the the premiere episode far more. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that was a far that was a far more interesting episode uh, from a from a character standpoint. This was just breezy fun, uh, yeah. but I don't have I don't have a whole lot more praise for it. But I certainly don't have anything to really take away from it either. So, no. um, what would you what would you give Smile? And then we'll move on to the next episode. Uh, well. Um... I note that the Radio Times, the BBC's own television magazine, gave it two out of five. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I, not give it that low a score. No, I wouldn't either. Um, that was uh, Patrick Mulkern at uh, Radio Times who described it as having a leaden anti, uh, sorry, being a leaden anticlimax, which I can kind of get his point. Oh, sure. um, I think it's, uh, I think it's probably three and a half. I reckon. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I liked feeling nostalgic about the. Um, about the whole aesthetic of it. That's and I, I enjoyed Capaldi in a in a slightly lighter version of him in this. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I'd say I'd say a good three and a half. I give it the same exact score. I'm like, I wonder, we, I wonder where Ben's gonna go. Is he gonna be like, no, uh, you know, it wasn't a two. It was like a two and a half, maybe. Uh, no, I it, it was it was a three and a half. Breezy, fun. Um, it it was it was better than average, but it it never really. I don't know if it was intended to or given a chance to go beyond like a, a better than average uh, show. So uh, and it probably wasn't intended to be. It was probably just, you know, uh, it was probably intended to be exactly what it was, which is just a breezy, fun adventure in the future. And we're, we're, we're moving on to the next thing. Because they are in the next episode, uh, at the end of the episode, they are teasing the vault. Mm. Very heavily, in fact. They were only referencing the vault in the first episode. But now there is a tease with the vault and a big one at that. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, and I feel like we're going to get more <laughs> of that because of the title of episode four, which we'll mention at the end of the episode. Uh, but, yeah, let's move on to series 10 of Doctor Who's episode three called Thin Ice. Travel into the past, there's got to be rules. If I step on a butterfly, it could send ripples through time. Yeah. Regency England. A bit more black than they show in the movies. Are there side effects to time travel? Sometimes you see lights under the ice. Stay back! There's something frozen under the Thames and it's eating people. Plan? Let's get eaten. The creature will be fed. Have you ever killed anyone? So, uh, this episode picks up right where we left off with Smile. The Doctor and Bill are in 1814 London. They're on the Frozen Tims during a frost fair, and they dress in period clothing to set out and explore, and Bill is kind of low-key in love with the TARDIS because it has dresses and it likes to get into trouble. <laughs> uh, which is whether the Doctor explains, by the way, why they ended up where they ended up, because at times the TARDIS does have a mind of its own. Uh, and sort of goes where it feels like going, which which makes it a rather inefficient mode of transportation, by the way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they are unaware, though, that the TARDIS's sensors have picked up a large life form under the ice. Uh, the Doctor and Bill encounter, well, they're in 1814 London, so naturally they encounter a ring of orphan pickpockets. Go blind me, Gaffner! <laughs> And they have cool code names like Spider and Kitty. Uh, and the Doctor and Bill give chase because one of them successfully pickpockets the Doctor's screwdriver. 
they observe creatures with green lights swimming under the ice, pursuing and encircling the young boy, Spider. Um, and they create a hole in this ice and suck him in there. Not before the doctor, of course, gets his sonic screwdriver back, uh, making almost no attempt to save the kid. Uh, he really doesn't, does he? Not really. Uh, he's like, give me that sonic screwdriver. Oh, and we can't save the kid. Um, and this, of course, though, because <laughs> the doctor, this is like, well, I need to get my sonic back. And to Bill, she's like, wait a minute. This didn't seem to bother you that much, the death of this child. How many people have you killed exactly? And he doesn't really give an answer. And this does not sit well with Bill. Uh, the doctor eventually tracks down Kitty and learns that they are paid to bring people to the ice fair with some going missing. Curious as to what's under the ice, the doctor and Bill wear old-timey diving suits. Mm. And uh, they go underneath the Thames and they... Uh, they, well, they don't actually go underneath. They allow the lighted fish creature thingies to create a hole and swallow them in there. Once submerged, they discover a giant sea creature chained below the water, and it is feeding on the people that have fallen through the ice. Uh, so, the Doctor and Bill track down the person paying the orphans, the aptly named Lord Suckcliffe. Totally sounds like a dude who would live in London in 1814. And, and slightly like the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Suckcliffe. Mm. <laughs> and uh, they find he has become wealthy by collecting and selling the creature's poo, essentially. Mm. Uh, because what the creature poos out is essentially um, a coal-like substance that burns hotter and longer and underwater. This almost resulted in the, f the show's first on-air swear, but it did not happen. Have, <laughs> they, have they teased swear words before on Doctor Who? Uh, I remember... The first? You know, they did once with Captain Jack, but I can't remember what the word was. Probably shit. Yeah, I mean, I probably. Because like that's, that's the one you can always get away with, because you can go, oh, shh, and then yeah. you can always trans, you know, uh, transfer onto something else from there. But uh, Bill almost Bill almost said the S word, uh, thus harming the ears of all of the youngsters watching the show. <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, Sutcliffe tells the doctor the secret of the sea creature and it's been passed down from generation to generation and refuses to release the creature as the doctor and Bill get too involved Sutcliffe decides to set a bomb off to shatter the ice creating mass panic that will allow them to keep the creature's presence a secret and, uh, all, and also provide uh, the creature with a lot of food as well presumably mm -hmm. um, Bill works with Katie and the other orphans to clear the people at the fair the doctor takes the explosive Sutcliffe as placed and transfers them to the creature's chains. Uh, and when he tries to detonate the explosives, it of course frees the creature, breaks the ice, and uh, kind of just swims off. Does this gigantic fish thing. In some no of the worst special effects seen in Doctor yeah, Who for many years. Yeah, this is like, this is going back to like series one of the reboot mm. um it was not it was not quality <laughs> um i mean and, and i'm sure we'll talk about it uh before leaving the doctor modifies the deed to Sutcliffe's home to place it into the hands of uh one of the orphans named perry allowing them to live their life without uh the full servant's compliment and they return back to the present where nardle scolds the doctor 
for breaking his oath to stay on Earth. Bill tracks down the newspapers from their visit to find that the orphans led out a full life in relative luxury, although she is puzzled at the lack of reference to the monster itself. The episode ends as Nardal checks on the mysterious vault that remains hidden underneath the university. Suddenly, whatever is inside the vault begins to knock multiple times, and Nardal affirms that he will not let the entity out without a proper request from the doctor. He then leaves with a worried look on his face. So, Thin Ice, Ben, what did you make mm. of it? Um, overall, I liked it. Uh, it's a Sarah Dollard episode. She, she wrote this again. I'm noting that I'm liking the episodes not... Uh, coming from the pen of the usual suspect but um it's uh she, she writes some of the darker doctor who's of recent times so you you may remember her from such things as uh face the raven uh from series mm-hmm. nine um it's i thought was well paced i thought that it was consistently paced as well um the a lot of the, I've seen a few criticisms of it saying, well, I don't understand why it was that Sutcliffe was um, was setting the explosives, but I thought that was fairly clear. I, I thought it was to get as many people as possible into the mouth of said creature under the ice Tiny. in order to. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't really see the problem with that, but a lot of people in reviews this morning have um, sort of said, oh, no one really explains why this is. I don't. Yeah, he, even went, he even went like full villain monologue about like yeah. the papers will say it was a horrific fireworks catastrophe gone wrong. Yeah, and uh, people will forget about it and we'll move on and they'll be excited for the next time. And which was the sort of faux prescience for why did no one remember what had happened thing? I'm I'm guessing there may be a theme brewing here of um, history forgetting things possibly. Yeah. Uh, there was some well, hints we do seem of that for- in Smile as well. So we do seem to forget things that have happened in the past and repeat them frequently in real life so <laughs> i didn't know what you're talking about <laughs> uh yeah i mean there was there was an interesting race of text in this episode as well so oh, yes um and again it was about history being obscured and so on so um uh bill comments that you know as a um, mixed race girl going out in uh, 19th century London yeah. you know wouldn't there be a problem because slavery is alive and well and you know everything else and the doctor sort of says mm, yeah well maybe but uh, yeah, you'll be alright and she notes uh, quite correctly looking around to the number of um, sort of brown faces of various ethnicities is yeah. you know far more than one might picture in 19th century London and the doctor passes it off as being, well, you know, history is a whitewash, so it's not <laughs> quite what you think. Um, but then there's a, a reference from the doctor to slavery uh, in a 2,000-year brewing speech, uh, as Bill describes it. Um, and it's, I, it, I can't tell if that was just a sort of slightly ham-fisted one episode, I'm going to talk about race, or if it was part of again, this broader idea of history basically not relying on what you understand about history. History is uh, you know, written by the victors, but it's also you know, we we forget the big points of history perhaps sometimes or overlook stuff. So I guess we'll see if that develops. Uh, I did get the feeling that there was an element of that to smile as well but... um, so there was that aspect of it. The I thought the performances were all pretty solid. I thought 
uh, there always comes a time with any uh, Doctor's companion where we see them confront the the horror that the Doctor lives with in terms of you know people's mortality and so on. Um, this was one of the better examples of that. So um, Bill is appalled initially at the idea not only that the Doctor isn't you know moved and affected by the death of uh, Spider, but also that the revelation that he has killed people. Um, it's, I, I sort of, the thing she found offensive was that he moved on and then there's a bit of a clumsy reference back to that later on in it. But overall, I thought they, they yeah. fast forwarded that development of their relationship pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I say the effects were pretty poor, but overall oh, the, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure. I kind of enjoyed the smaller rubber fish versions. Yeah, I did I thought, actually. Uh, yeah, I thought, little pilot I, fish things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought those were okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, the CG huge creature. I mean, they haven't done a lot of that CG life form thing. No, uh, but the last not, one I can think of was the dinosaur in episode one of series nine. I think. Yeah, I mean, and that didn't look tremendous, but it was better looking than this. Yeah, uh, and and where this show has really hit their stride has been with the practical uh, effects. Which is where uh, Doctor Who has always, you know, yeah, that's the, been its wheelhouse. The creature creations and stuff, the, the, the some of the things they've done in the last couple of series have been really good looking. Mm. And, yeah, that I mean, I understand you can't do something that big as a practical effect, I suppose. No. Um, but, yeah, it was... Uh, it was it was it was pretty lacking. Uh, I mean, so we we also saw something in this episode we don't get to see very much, which is uh, the Doctor getting violent through mm. a punch, uh, and I and I like that it was uh, after him kind <laughs> of teaching Bill that you know it's you know more important to uh, to I guess fight with your reason or whatever or logic or yes there was a pithy phrase that you're trying to remember that i'm trying to remember as well yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. that <laughs> coming what it was something about using your smarts yeah i don't know um but then as soon as he uh as soon as he says that Sutcliffe uh, is a racist bastard and so yeah he, he just comes out. in and he's like what is that thing doing here no you know show some respect to your betters and uh the doctor just hauls off and punches him in the face which mm-hmm. was great was a touch of the Malcolm Tucker about him for a second, wasn't there? Um, yeah, I, I quite like that. The, I mean, the real bite of this episode. I mean, it was a good episode on the whole, anyway. But the, yeah. you know, we're all now guessing what's behind door number one. Um, when Nardole, who again is mercifully lacking yeah. through most of it, uh, when he appears at the end, and we have this sort of knocking on the door thing. I mean, that, the knocking thing again puts me back in mind of um sim's uh iteration of the master i'm now the drums, utterly yeah, yeah, yeah. convinced that it is him um, the only thing the only thing that would have completely and i think maybe the only reason i didn't do this is because it would have totally given it away mm. is he only knocked three times instead of yeah. four times yeah which was the whole thing with david Tennant, the you know her four knocks or whatever yeah, um, I, it's it's blatantly a, a callback to it though. So it's either a, yes. it's either misdirection, in which case, damn you, Moffat, or it's uh, it's yeah, one and it is what it is. Yeah, maybe it's Missy. Maybe that'll be the swerve. Mm, maybe, maybe Missy will Missy will be in there. I mean, we know John Sim is going to be here, but um, 
I, look, I would like a. I, I'm because obviously we're all very excited he's going to be back playing this character. Um, I'm far more excited. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if I should get my hopes up here. I'm kind of getting my hopes up. Like, oh, they're gonna have to explain like how he got from where he we last saw him to like you know where we are because there's like a fairly small window. Yeah. In which he turned into that iteration of the master, and when he, the master, I guess, sort of sacrificed himself, mm. kind of. Yeah. Um. So the, the other <laughs> take is that it's not; it's Doctor One. Hmm. And he's being kept That's... there to prevent him doing something, possibly yeah. to the master. Hmm. I've seen that theory rolled out a couple oh, of times geez. now. Because well, he, he's, I mean, he, he's an irritate, an irritable bastard, isn't he, Doctor One? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can imagine him needing to be kept under lock and key. Well, he just wanted out of to necessity. Teach, he just wanted to teach kids about history. Ben, <laughs> is that so wrong? Well, I suppose. Although that's what it all started as, and indeed, and then, then the, the Daleks wanted terrified them. the living shit out of everyone, and yeah, so and Doctor Who were, was born. Yeah, and they wanted they wanted their whiz bang laser show, Ben. They did, and they... there goes all the learning out the window. I don't know. We've um, learned stuff about. Uh... No, okay, I've got nothing. Um... Uh, I'm gonna say that I'm gonna try to say this in the least creepiest possible sounding way. Uh-huh. Um, but I would like to take the character of Dot, who is one of the uh, one of the orphan pickpocket gangs. Yeah, and I would just like to put her in my pocket and take her home. She oh. was freaking adorable. Yes. She was like the little tiny blonde girl with her little tiny adorable British accent wearing <laughs> shoes that were too big for her and a big top hat that was too big for her. It was incredibly cute. She was loosely modeled. If you can't remember, she was the one loosely modeled on a sort of um, gender switch of the artful Dodger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, Although, here's the thing. It was, one a, of the it was a super cute. Uh, and I was like, I, w- I would like. I would like to take this child out of her poverty and bring her home with me. Do you know, one of the children, um, his name, the, the character's name was Perry, although I'm not sure whether we necessarily heard that at any point in it. He yeah. was played by someone called Badger. His name's Badger uh, Skelton. Which is one of the best names of all time. Isn't it? I mean, you know, obviously it's prescient if he ends up getting TB, but yeah, yeah. Uh, other than it that... Is, I mean, it is not as great as the director of some of the movies that we've been watching in the rebooted Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, his name is Ib Jorgen Melchior, which is the greatest name of all time. It is. That's my, a strong name. My daughter suggested there should be, in fact, a Doctor Who villain named Ib Jorgen Melchior, because it totally <laughs> seems like it would fit in It does, like actually. That. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she should write to the new boy. Look, I look. I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic when I learned that his name was Ib Melchior, but then when we did research and found out his middle name was Jorgen, it was mm. even better. So now, uh, we're all we're all about the great names here on Who Made Who. You're a you're a sound uh, guy, aren't you? Now the Fairly. this um, this episode had uh, a, I thought a pretty solid score as well. It was one of the episodes where Murray Gold mm. has come back to do the yes. the sort of themes and everything else. He did like and, the incidental music and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now the nice thing about that is that he so he's responsible for an awful lot of the 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 sort of um I ident type uh incidental music. 
Uh, although I don't think he's responsible for the most irritating all of them, um, but uh, as in Clara's theme. But um, he he produced some fresh work in this one, and it was noticeable. I, I I thought a couple of times during it that you know he's he's trying to give the the, the overall score of it a bit of a reboot. Um, yeah. And I I well I always say this if I notice the the music in a, a Doctor Who episode, it's either because it's callbacks or it's because there's something new and you know that draws your attention i i yeah. thought this had quite a nice score to it this episode mm-hmm. yeah i mean okay so the score didn't stick out as uh it didn't stick out to me that much but i didn't notice it more than i have noticed in other uh in other episodes um i like murray gold um mm. did he did he did he or did he not do the clara theme are you and are you sick of it just because you've heard it so many times now um yeah, or are you just pro- not a fan of it in general? It probably is that. I mean, I mean, uh, we have been hearing it since Matt Smith. So, I was about to say, I think it's because we've heard it for such a long time. I mean, he, he, oh, I mean, he, he's done a lot of. Um, he's responsible for a lot of the really good music. Though. Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, he's he's a hangover from the Russell Davis days yep. he's he's been part of russell davis's sort of professional entourage for a long time before doctor the Who. circle yeah yeah well he was involved in queerest folk and casanova which of course is the first time we saw david tennant on the bbc um and all sorts of stuff i mean he's uh he was involved in shameless in fact i think he actually wrote the theme tune to shameless if i remember rightly he um i don't i don't think he did clara's theme i'm sure somebody will um Tell me if I'm wrong. I think he did like everyone else. He did Rose's theme. I know that much. Um, Let me while you're talking. Are you go, are you googling? Like... You see, this is where I find out that he's not the guy I'm thinking of. Um, he did. Well, he did a theme for Amy Pond. I remember that much. Um, he's responsible for the Dalek theme, which I think is still being used now. Um, so you know, he's as I say, he, he's he's a big part of the modern take on mm-hmm. Doctor Who. And of course, say, we're talking about the uh, the that we're talking about. Yeah, the Impossible Girl theme mm-hmm. composition, Murray Gold. Oh, is it? He did, in fact, make it. Yes. Oh, well, there you go. With orchestration by Ben Foster. Uh, yes, who did the theme tune for Torchwood and Sarah Jane Adventures? I think. Really? Yeah, that's where we know him from. I also know him. I also know him from the his his uh, energetic performances at the proms as well. So uh, okay, I was about to say you're going to cheat here because you've clearly got Wikipedia in front of you now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, I've actually seen like the the proms music, the the music specials and stuff. So I've yeah, I've seen I've seen Ben Ben Foster's energetic uh, stick waving. He is a busy, busy man as well. He does a lot of TV work. So. Indeed. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, do we have anything else we'd like to add to our thoughts on Thin Ice? No, but the ending of it, other than the vault, um, I guess it's sort of part of it. Are we going to talk about the 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 next episode, or are we going to do scores for this first? Uh, we'll do scores, and okay. then we will we will mention that uh, the episode title sort of gives away, I think, what the next episode is about. Hmm. Although I have not seen the next time on Doctor Who I have. video. Uh, oh, well, I can... have. We'll talk about that in a minute then. Okay, um, okay so scores for this, son? Yeah, you go first this time. Um, so I, I like the episode. 
Um, but I did not like it as much as I liked Smile. Even um, I thought I thought Smile still had I don't know. There, there was this was this was not like the there was definitely good moments in it. I don't I don't know how to feel about this, Ben. Um, mm-hmm. I gave it I gave it a three and a quarter. I gave it just a little bit less than the three and a half. Um, there was definitely there there were very different episodes. This was not like super fun and breezy, uh, like like Smile was. But it also had like the I I like it whenever Bill is questioning the doctor about things and she does not let up or just accept his answer at face value, mm-hmm. uh, which is good because as we all know, one of the rules about the doctor is that the doctor lies, um, and even some even if sometimes those lies are embellishments or whatever, or sometimes he's just being tricksy, I guess um, he is not always completely upfront about things. And Bill never takes anything he says at face value, even when they're making a joke about the sonic screwdriver. Like, how is that in any way a screwdriver? And he has to say, because she well, calls you know, it the magic and... wand, doesn't she? <laughs> yes, which it is. In, it's not in a pretty magic much wand. every way. We must remember that. <laughs> I mean, it is, and for all intents and purposes, mm. it is a magic wand. Like whatever the situation is, he basically waves it, and things happen. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I, I enjoyed that. I liked. That they touched on, and I had to teach my daughter. Uh, uh, my daughter learned about uh, slavery in Britain because she was aware that you had abolished slavery before we did. But I think she was under the impression that it was uh, that it was resolved long, long before we got rid of ours. And mm. I don't think that's the case. I think it was outlawed no. in Britain in 1833, and we outlawed ours in 1866. Yeah, so right. like. You guys, you guys had us beat by like three decades. But then we started earlier than you, so <laughs> that is true. You had a you had a much wider berth and head start. We did. Uh, you cheated for sure. In many ways, that is true of the British over history and their history with slavery. Yes, we did. In many ways, cheat. Yes. And lie <laughs> and exploit and generally Indeed. be gits. Uh, uh, so what would you um, what would you give? Um, I'm also gonna go um, to a couple of decimal places. I think it's a three and three quarters for me. Um, when okay. when Doctor Who has to do its darker palette, when it has to sort of paint with um, death and sacrifice and uh, mass murder and everything like that, it, it wheels in one of a handful of writers who are good at writing that content and this is one yes. of those episodes and it was well written for that i i think it was badly let down by the um i think slightly lazy aesthetic uh and the i'd rather perhaps even some of the content happen out of shot than just use bad cg to create it um again it feels like an awful lot was trying to be done in a very short space of time so the pacing was better but Again, it did feel a bit like, and then there was this happened at the end, and then that's that. I, yeah. I don't know whether that's my sort of craving to want to watch longer episodes of Doctor Who, or whether that's just that sometimes these episodes. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's weird, isn't it? You you look at some other shows like, um, I don't know, Black Mirror is probably a good example, mm-hmm. where you watch an episode of that and it's you know however long it is, and it feels like it feels like longer. It feels like you've managed to get more into it and more involved in it. Doctor yeah. Who can sometimes feel like that. The last couple of episodes have not felt like that, and I don't really know why. It so, feels like yeah, they needed like maybe five, 
10 more minutes maybe. yeah yeah and it is a matter of five ten minutes you're right um so yeah so that, that's the thing that slightly lets it down for me but otherwise i thought it was pretty strong mm-hmm. and it led us to the next time on the doctor on doctor who oh, oh it's good. okay so what 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 was in there i, I presume it's not overly spoilish uh well do you know i haven't seen the title for the next episode so tell me what the title is uh, okay well the uh the ti- well usually we do the title at the end that's like the last thing i say oh okay fine well okay. and then we'll stay with your format damn you let's, um let's let's just say the title sounds a lot like we'll say uh-huh mm-hmm. okay it's, it sounds similar to that well we're going um we're going ghosty we're going um well, you see, I don't want to do too much of my spoilers either because I'm conscious of the fact that you don't get the... Do you, do you not get the next time on Doctor Who thing at all in... Oh, we, we do, actually, and they're during, they're during episodes of Class. Oh. But I didn't... But, and, and, I did, and I did actually watch the second episode of Class. Oh, yeah. That happened after Smile, and? which, by the way, I would give a thumbs in the middle to. Yeah. Uh, because it was a ROM-heavy episode, and as, uh, as you tried to warn me, mm. uh, that's a shitty character. Isn't it? And and the actor is fucking terrible as well. I spent most of my time trying to come up with puns that went with the name Ram. Yeah. Like the Dodge Ram or Star Trek II The Wrath of Ram or um Ram a Ding Dong. Anyway. Um yeah, yeah. Quark's <laughs> brother whose name is Ram. Uh anyway, continue. <laughs> oh, whenever I think of him I always just think of uh Moogie. Uh, um, who doesn't love Moogie? <laughs> Uh, right, so what we see is uh, is well, we look like a horror movie, and the moment that I sat up and immediately um, jaw to the floor, oh god, this is going to be excellent, was when I saw that the guest star for the next episode is one David Suchet, um, oh. and wherever David Suchet is, there is some creepy motherfucker, <laughs> and that's who he's playing he's playing a creepy motherfucker um so i wonder i wonder if the episode title is mm-hmm. not in reference to the vault but uh i don't think it twisty is reference it's it's a it's a it's a horror movie type um it's almost hammer horror hammer, hammer horror e yeah. in uh in tone um certainly the, this certainly sounds like uh a very twisty clever title then given what we saw at the end of Thin Ice. Though. Oh, there's some definite, um, some definite moffatting going on for sure. Um, He's still holding on, everybody. Oh for a few yes. More episodes. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, so the I- the idea is Bill and um, her mates, because I think she's moving house. Um, they're plagued by noises and um, creepy stuff going on involving their landlord, um, who uh, the house that they're moving to is a house with a spooky tower. Uh, and well, hmm. we discover that um, th- well, they need the doctor's help to get to the bottom of some spooky, mysterious goings on. Um, we do hear the line uh, from Suchet speaking to them, presumably, uh, is "You signed the contract; it's time to pay." And we also Ooh. hear in the trailer from uh, in the trailer from Bill that the house is eating people. Um, <laughs> that which also sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I just think it looks, it does look fantastic. It it has. Yeah. I mean, David Suchet is adds a touch of gravitas to it. Anyway, um, I was talking yeah. to Aaron this week about because he's 
he's got a big heart on at the moment for stuff on iPlayer, on BBC iPlayer, of which I'm sure he's watching in some entirely legal way. Um, but uh, yeah, but uh, amongst that is the Evelyn War. Um, uh, oh Christ, what's it called? Decline and Fall. Uh, which also has David Suchet in it as the headmaster of a boarding school, and he's creepy as all fuck in that as well. So watching so, him in this straight after watching him in that, I'm, I, I seriously, this is what I'm really excited for the next episode. I was gonna say Ben is clearly looking forward. Oh, big to time! The next episode. Uh, all right, so head on over to cinemageekly.com, check out the archives of Who Made Who, check out all the other shows we've got going on uh, as well. And, of course, the show's available on iTunes and Google Play Music. Just search for Who Made Who and hit subscribe. And uh, that leads us to our end. We will come back next week, however. Uh, all things being equal, hopefully we'll come back next week. If not, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about this episode along with another episode. You know how it goes. Uh, series 10, Episode 4 of Doctor Who called Knock Knock. Knock Knock.